This is the Fail Fast Podcast. Stories of entrepreneurs who looked at failure in the eyes and didn't give up. With your host, the online sales master, Quinn Amorum. Welcome back to the show, my friends. Today we have with us the co-founder and the CEO of Ridehook Digital, the e-commerce growth and performance marketing agency managing millions in ad spend for their clients across Australia and the USA. He is obsessed with over-delivering wow. He leads his agency of 50-plus people while sharing his team's learnings and insights, educating brand owners on how to scale profitably and sustainably. These are the things I'm always talking about. You always have to be profitable. He is here with us today. D. Dang. D. How's it going? It's very, very good to be here. Thank you for having me, my man. It's a pleasure to have you here. You know, for those listening, uh, me and D had, uh, not, not me and D, just me, I had some issues here starting up. I had the blue screen of death today on, on my computer. So Don't you hate that. <laughs> Man, that's like the worst thing that can ever happen to you. Like that. And it's completely the, outside of your control. And you know, you know what's shocking, D, is like when you get the blue screen, this, the so called blue screen of death, there's a smiley face. <laughs> Right, it always is. Like there's, a, okay, we are rebooting now, and that we're forty percent done. And there's a smiley face. I'm like, what are you so happy about? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Apple has the beach ball. It's like, yo, man, do not do this to me, man. You, you, you're just, you're just mocking me at this point. Yeah, un- unbelievable. Okay, so now that we're over that, the you're you're the marketing guy, and you are in you are physically in Australia right now. Yes, sir. Nice. Okay. And how did you get into marketing? Well, funny, funny story. I mean, I cut my teeth in, uh, in my twenties, actually in TV and yeah. So cut my teeth in TV. Uh, this was back when I was living in Singapore, wall street crash happened. I I worked predominantly reality television uh, with American productions in Singapore, wall street crash happened, which affected Singapore as well. And all the work dried up. So one of my buddies called me. He's like, hey, man, you know, um, the girls are pretty good looking here in Australia. I went, okay, well, whatever. And, and lo and behold, two, two or three months later, I sold all my stuff, moved over to Australia. That's all you Started needed. In, right, right, exactly. <laughs> like as a 20-something-year-old, you know, like early 20s. Um, moved over to Australia, ended up working in a, uh, a camera rental place because I couldn't find any freelance gigs. So it was just as a technician trying to get into um, servicing cameras and also selling cameras at the same time and got really sick of my job. Like I was, I was getting paid next to nothing. It was an entry level job, new country. um, And first read a four hour work week back then when it was like hot. Right. Um, And went, you know what? I I can do this. I can do this business thing and no clue about business, no clue about like starting an app or anything like that. This was 2012, 2013. Um, Airbnb and the whole share economy thing was really yeah. popping off. And that's when I went, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to start my first tech startup. Genius idea. No tech, no business, <laughs> no business acumen. Jumped in straight, got accepted into an incubator. Um, no investors. Incubator gave me like 10, 20 Gs, something like that, which yeah. you know disappears in a moment with legal fees and whatever else you got to do. Um, and that's when I really had to get immersed into growth marketing. So, you know, growthhackers.org, uh, yeah. going to as many forums as possible, Neil Patel. And that's really what broke me in because I was spending my own dollar, 
Uh, and back then I wasn't married just yet, but I was already living with my now wife and her kids. So still breadwinner had to really figure shit out. Um, and that's how I got into the marketing game. Uh, fast forward um, to 2016, that startup left me broke, broke as broke can be, uh, mm. literally like 200 bucks left in my bank account. And then 2017 started the agency and then now we're 50 something people. So it's a wild ride of marketing. Marketing saw me through the whole damn thing. Man, you, you know what? It's it's funny that most people that are successful today, when you get into talking with them, something similar always happened. There is something that almost broke most of most of us. And I say most of us because, I mean, that happened to me too. And uh, I, actually, not just once, but several times. I, I just started a longer time ago. So it uh, the cycle repeats itself. But for somebody that then in 2017, from 16 to 17, from broke to starting your agency, now you were actually voted uh, Australia's fastest growing companies in 2019, 2020 by the Australian Financial Review, right? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, is there a ranking of like top fifty, top one hundred? How how did that go? Yeah, so it's the um, it's the top. If I'm not wrong, it's like the top uh, one hundred fastest yeah. growing companies, and we were somewhere in the in the fifties in there. Uh, what was really crazy was I was looking at the, the rest of the list, and you know, you go on Crunchbase and you see them all super capitalized, and they got all the funding <laughs> and all that. So it's nice to go in there knowing, hey, guess what? We built this off of our own back. We don't have any external capital. Um, and the really interesting thing was we started it as absolute no framework, no network, which was um, which was scary at the time, right? No one knows you. You don't have a name just yeah. yet. Uh, and also, too, there's no there's no framework. We never start. My co-founder Scott and I we never started an agency before, and we did not come from that world. We're never employed at an agency either, which really helped us. I mean, looking back now, and even the way that we operate now, gives us a really I guess for us, it's a normal perspective, but I guess speaking to other agency owners in the time so far, for them, it's a fresh perspective. It's like, oh, wait, you're doing it this way. It's like, yeah, that's the only way we know how to do it. Whereas for them, that's like, no, this is the traditional way of how you should do things at an agency, for example. Mm. Yeah, the, the traditional way, it's, well, it's not always the right way, right? It's just the traditional way. It's, and just because something has been like the, done like that for so many years doesn't mean that, um, it shouldn't change or it doesn't need change. Like sometimes it doesn't. Other times, man, here's one example. You, you mentioned how you're, you're married and you have now kids. So as before I was a father, I used to think my kids are not getting iPhones. They're not getting smartphones. They're not getting tablets. I want them to be physically at, active. I want them to go outside, play with dirt, get dirty. And okay, so guess what happens? 2020 happens, 2019 happens, and every kid has a cell phone. And if mine don't, they are, they they are socially outcast. They are. Yeah. So it's so hard. So what I thought was the right thing, it may not be the right thing because when 2030 comes, I need my kids to be, you know, socially active and know what the tech is at the time. Uh, so it, it's just so. Uh, unexpected. The, I, I don't know Com what yeah. else. Com complete, completely agree. Like the, the dynamics are, um, the dynamics are always changing. And you think, you know, with with the best intentions in your heart, you go, wait a second. 
tech, I've seen what it does to other kids. They turn into zombies. They, they're just mindless zombies where, you know, they might be crying or throwing a fit. I've seen so many parents do exactly the same thing. Like shove an iPad in front of them. All of a sudden, everything shuts down. No more fit. No more tantrum. Everything yeah. seems fine. Um, so I, I didn't the same thing within my circles. I know parents that go, no, but I want them to be active. And I don't want them to be like, you know, zombies and digital zombies. But there is that other dynamic, which is at school, they might actually get made fun of because they don't have that device and they can't talk to the other kids and all this other stuff. So it's always interesting looking at that dynamic and, and figuring out how intentions might go one way and then like outcome might be completely something you don't expect. Exactly. So same thing happens in business too. So what we think is the norm one day doesn't fit to our needs uh, in, in the future. And the same thing, true, because when I started online and is doing my stuff, there was no such thing as YouTube didn't exist, right? You, there was no such thing as just accessing or asking Google something because some guru would go and answer and give you for free what you wanted to know. So for the longest time, I had the mentality that I had to go source things for myself. I had to do the research myself. And then I would fail or not. I had nothing to compare it with. So I figured my way was the only way. And now I know that there's the kid that started yesterday or figure of speech, but started, you know, a couple of days ago, they know things that I didn't know. So that's why uh, it's so smart for a marketer to have new ideas, new minds, new set of eyes that just, you know, get new things done because times change and they change so quickly. Absolutely. I'm a, uh... I've recently been getting really nerdy into, it sounds like a funny way to say it, but getting really nerdy into Zen Buddhism. Um, yeah. And, you know, I was born and raised Catholic. Uh, my grandma just got baptized like three weeks ago. She wow. was always Buddhist. And it's, it's funny, like we kind of did a, did a tag team. She swapped over to the Catholic side and I'm, I'm learning more about Zen Buddhism. But the reason why I bring that up is because a really big, the, what drew me into Zen Buddhism is the primary concept that caught my eye of the beginner mind. I'm reading this book right now called Zen Mind, Beginner Mind. And it, 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 what you just said just there really reminds me of that where the beginner mind, children are learn so fast because they, they don't have any preconceived notions. Yes. And that really excites me. Like if what really excited me, especially now running a 50 person team, I have to think like a different, I have to rewire my brain a little bit. Um, compared to back when we were two people that could do whatever the hell we wanted, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> so having this beginner mind really allows me to look at life, look at problems, regardless of whether it is uh, our own business or a client's business or a pal's business or even life in general at home to go, wait a second. Like if I looked at this as with a beginner mind, now the world of possibilities open up because it's not just, this is the only way it's more. So how, how would I do this if I did this the first time? Super fun. Mm. Yeah. Talking about your team of 50, how hard or how easy is it to, to manage a team of 50? Because I'm guessing right now or even before now, uh, a lot of them would have been remote or still are remote, right? So is it hard? Is it easy? Or do you like do your your uh, operating procedures kind of help out with that? Or how does it go? Great, great question, man. Um, it's It's so funny going through this journey in a fairly compressed amount of time well it feels like for me anyway um when you know so many people talk about like oh you know go go listen to uh, go watch simon sinek or go read finding your why or or go read these books by jim collins and whatever and you know i read them back when i had my first tech startup um and 
you read that and you go, yeah, okay, cool. I'm going to prepare myself for this, that, and the other. But it wasn't timely reading at the time, right? So coming back yes. to it now, so much of what that material um, encompasses makes so much, it clicks so much stronger now. And the, and the neurons are connecting in such a greater way now. What I mean by that is for me, it's funny. On paper, it's D leads a 50-person team. But in reality, it's more like D leads a team of seven who leads a team of yes. 50 people, you know? So it all, that's all I really have to focus on is making sure that I then have uh, a, the ability to lead and motivate, uh, not even motivate, just keep engaged and keep grooming and growing my team, my core team of seven mm -hmm. and making sure that they can grow their core teams of seven. And that's literally the, the chess game that I'm playing on, on a day-to-day, month-to-month basis. Gotcha. Yeah. So and, and that is the perfect answer because my team of, is not 50. My team is at 15 and growing super fast. But what, what I have directly below me is just one. But unfortunately, because it's just one, I have a lot of time to dedicate. So I, I do uh, deal with all 15 or 16 with, with the manager uh, all the time because I, because I like doing what I do and I want to be involved still, but I, um, I want to get to the point where I have those seven, like you, right? The, the top seven. Yeah. It's, it's super fun. It's very challenging. It gives me a very compelling reason to wake up every morning and close off the week strong and start the next week off right and make sure that we have, it's all the growing up stuff that I thought I would not like, you know, the corporate -y kind of, you need to have, <laughs> Uh, critical numbers for every quarter and you need to have really crucial conversations with people about hey you didn't hit those numbers let's talk about it. like the the friendliness and that whole casual um nature what i thought would have to disappear you know i thought it was binary right you either had this friendly family type culture or you had this corporate culture but we've really found our way to having this place where it is i would say the the one of one of our core values is openness no bullshit Nice. So you've really managed to live up to that to the point where it's almost like family. You can have that argument, but at the end of the day, you're still family. So much in the same way, we have really frank conversations with the team, but it flows both ways. My team can call me out on my BS as much as I can call them out on, the, on their BS. And the understanding is mutual that at the end of the day, we just want the best result on the court. Off the court, we can go for beers and we can goof around and all that stuff. But when we're on the court, game time's game time. And... Um, the, the fact that we managed to keep that culture, I'm super proud of. So, D, tell me something. Uh, before we go any further into your right hook uh, agency, the 2016 failure, I want to know kind of what was your biggest lesson from it. But I want to also ask you, was it because I did check your, your LinkedIn and everything, was it Hire Hive? It was Hire Hive, yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So to give everyone uh, listening and watching uh, a bit of a, a bit of context, uh, I went into Higher Hive with a co-founder who, back when I was bartending, I, he ran. He was um, he was a DJ booker. So, mm -hmm. but he did tech and he understood that world because you know he was um, he he was he he told me he was coding, and me not knowing any tech, I didn't know how to verify whether. He knew how to code or not. I could just see code and I could see the output. And I'm like, okay, this guy knows how to put a website together. And mm -hmm. um, so the context here being, it was meant to be a peer-to-peer -peer rental platform, much like Airbnb. Imagine Uber, but for film cameras or video yeah. cameras. Right? Okay, got it. Uh, the biggest learning that I had was never, ever 
uh, put all your eggs into one basket as much as mm. that's what the tech crunch and that's what all the, the Bay Area startup advice is, you know, like if you got to go all in or go big or go home or any of those things, because we were just, I was just hanging out for investors. I was just, I was always trying to go, you know what, if we hit this milestone, I'll be ready to pitch to him. I mean, I got to pitch Guy Kawasaki in person in San Francisco. Mm. I got to pitch like Peter Goldwyn of MGM, like Meyer Go- Metro Goldwyn Mayer. Yeah. Um, one of the Goldwins, I got to pitch him. Um, and they all seem promising because no one really tells you no. They tell you maybe kind of come back later. So you, you keep that hope going and that false hope can really kill you. It almost killed me. I mean, the, the day that I uh, went broke, it was because a really large bill, I think it was a tax bill or something, got pulled out of my bank account. Um, and I saw the, the notification show up on my banking app. We were I remember the moment really, really... Um, I mean, I can I can actually like get myself into a, a nervous state right now. We, we, we were right after dinner. We were watching TV at home, the family, and the notification came up, and it said, um, "I forget how much money came out of my account." And I had something like two hundred bucks or ninety. I still have the screenshot somewhere because I was like, I never want to feel this moment ever again. And I went, "Oh my god, I I can't make rent next week." So I looked left to my wife. My face just felt like it went white. Um, I looked left to my to my wife and I, I had this split second question of do I tell them or do I not until today I haven't told my wife and she doesn't watch these podcasts like most of the time so she I, I don't think she still knows the story wow but, um, yeah the, the biggest learning is don't don't put all the eggs in one basket and whatever it is sales 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 cures most things mm. it's a very strong band-aid let's put it that way Yes, man. I guess so. Your your relationship is then in that case a little bit like mine because my wife knows in basic terms what I do, and she knows it has to do with online and computers and selling things. But <laughs> but that's pretty much it. And uh, I mean, it'll be so hard to to you know be be the man that is supporting the family and get that notification and. Will I tell them, or I'll make it okay? I, this will be fine, and I'm. Uh, uh, man, I wonder what I would do in that situation. That must be like so stressful. Totally, and and the crazy thing is, I ask myself that question all the time. If I was back in that situation again, I wonder what I would do. And I, the answer is, I don't know. Like the the only reason why I made the choice to not tell her was a gut check. There was not much mental stuff going on at the mm. time it was just going okay well if i tell them what's what's going to happen you know in a split second it was more like if i tell them what's going to happen she's going to get stressed we're all going to get worried we're all going to have to talk about it nothing good's going to come out of this you know we can't really move the needle so i'm just going to try to figure out next week if i can't I, i'll prepare myself and then i'll tell her fortunately the, the week after because i was working on higher high and because i was still grinding away at creating contacts and making sure i was acquiring as many users as possible i knew a whole bunch of people that were freelancers or had cameras or were not working. So what I did was I just did something that I thought I would never have to do. I This was 2015-2016, right? I literally went on Google, Googled a whole bunch of uh, local businesses, you know, typical um, thing to do. And I just cold called a bunch of people and going, hey, you know, we're a new media company. We're doing video packages. If you need any type of video done, uh, we can do it for... Uh, you know, a, re- a, a really large discounted amount. 
Mm-hmm. And luckily, because I knew all these freelancers, I could I crafted a deal where I would get all the money first and I would only have to pay them after the gig was done. So I could float the cash in between. Beautiful. Dude, two weeks, 40 Gs. I never thought it was possible. Yes. It's, it, isn't it incredible when you get put in those situations, your brain is forced to come up with a solution. And you got to do what you got to do. And this is so incredible because I, I've been there and I would go to bed and, and I would try, I would keep it to myself too. Not, you know, I wouldn't be telling everybody, even family, what, what was deeply going in, but I would go to bed and I would stay there and think, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this and this and this. And then uh, something always comes up, man. It's your brain is so powerful when you know, when you want to really put it to work. It's it's incredible. Yeah. Well, uh, well how does the saying go? The, the most uh, um, the most dangerous time to uh, to fight a tiger is when it's injured. Mm. Yes. Know? Oh, yeah. Because they, now they're fighting for their life. They're not. Yeah. Exactly. So I want to ask you now about Right Hook. Now, Right Hook is the successful marketing agency, and this name—where did it come from? Did it have any influence of Gary V's book, uh, Jab 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 Right Hook? That's, that's the most common question. Uh, that's the most common question that we get, um, and and also because I used to I used to fight for a living for a while when I was younger. That was the other. That's the other question I get from my pals that know me. Um, in fact, it wasn't even that. It was so my co-founder. Um, before we decided to work together, um, he just consulted his wife and said, okay, we need to come, I need to come up with a cool name. What do you think it is? And they just went on there. They had a whiteboard at home and they just started like writing a whole bunch of stuff. And then his wife lies, um, lies just went, oh, that right hook one makes a ton of sense. The, you know, the right hook, the right angle, mm-hmm. right hook, like the boxing thing. So let's just go there. And I just, we just went with that and we had a few other names in contention, but the, the right hook one eventually came to the forefront. Nice, nice. That's actually a pretty cool name, and it can be used in different uh, different settings. So, anyway, I, what you said there earlier was you used to fight for a living. Yeah, so Thai Thai boxing. I, um, I was really fat when I was younger. Yeah. Um. So, like, you know, what? Like, almost almost a hundred kilos of just fat. Just you know, couldn't do a pull up, couldn't do ten push ups, and got like heaving when I was walking up the the stairs. A uh, hundred kilos, like what? Like two twenty pounds, something like that. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe 240. Yeah. So just not fit whatsoever. And met this, uh, met, met this dude who, who, um, taught Thai boxing. So I thought, you know, I'll, I'll give this a world. It'd be nice to know how to defend myself and not be a, a pansy. Um, and just get beat down if someone ever had to try to <laughs> mug me or anything. So did that for a while. That was, that was fun, but I figured I was never going to be in the top even 20%. And that's where you make actual career money. Outside of that, you're, you know, you're, you're fighting for beer money. Oh, wow. Day, really. Oh wow! And you get beat up too, so it's not—it's not that like the risk reward. Not that the, the ROI really doesn't justify itself. You know? <laughs> yes, yeah, it's a crazy ROI. Oh man, yeah, I did um, I did karate Shotokan for five years, oh, and nice. I was—I wasn't fighting for a living. I was just doing it because uh, it was fun, and I wanted the exercise. I was—I did soccer three times a week, and then karate three times a week. Uh, so basically. Six days a week, I had stuff to do. Um, so awesome. Yeah. That stuff never leaves you, huh? It, like, you know, you just got to get it back on the bike. You might be a bit rusty, but, man, it never leaves you. No, it doesn't. You know what? We used to do, uh, man, this is not entrepreneurial, but anyway, uh, you know what the kata is where we used to do? It's yes. almost like a karate dance 
I still remember those. And it's been so, man, it's been 15, 15 years since the last time I, I practiced Karate Shotokan. And I can still do it, right? I'm, of course, I'm not in the same shape, not even close. But it, it does stick with us. Like, it's like you said, it's like riding a bike. After a while, you get back. Uh, yeah, on, but get back on the on the seat. Absolutely. All right, so back to the marketing. Right hook. You guys now do. Uh, you don't just, of course, don't work just with Australia. You work with the U.S. anywhere because it is the online. You can work with anybody. And is this just Facebook ads, Google ads? Do you guys get into SEO or is it all of the above? So um, we leave we leave SEO, the SEO component uh, aside. Largely, just because mm-hmm. that that is isn't a um, we, we focus very much on uh, the the more direct response stuff. So we do run traffic. Facebook, Instagram is still the sexy thing. So uh, that's yeah. what most people come to us for. We do have uh, spend on Snapchat as well as TikTok now. So we're we're in we're in yeah. there as well. Who knows what's going to happen to TikTok in the next few weeks or months? Um, so traffic, we've got that. Uh, we also run the back end. That you know, that's where the, the nice money gets made. Uh, messenger, SMS, email. We've got that part um, down pat as well. Uh, and we do, and we do landers every once in a while. So some of our clients, we just you know, it just makes sense to put um, their users and their potential customers through a bit of a funnel. So we've got landing pages, uh, landing page builds as a capability as well. Um, and we're starting to flirt with the influencer game. That's a very fun space to be in. I, yeah. I like the fact that we're a second mover. We're not a first mover because we get to learn so much from the way other um, other mm. e-commerce agencies and other brands and other agencies have used the e-commerce uh, the agency model. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the influencer model. So we're you know we're trying to come in and um, be a bit smarter on that too. Yeah, that's actually pretty cool. Uh, I tried it on on both stages, like you said being first mover and second mover and one of the things that caught us by surprise when we started doing it or you know ahead of the wave is what we would call it uh was that when instagram was working so well with us and for the longest time at the beginning everything was real right followers were real uh, uh, be, yes. be, before the multi-million follower accounts start showing up for somebody that nobody really knows we would actually believe that so okay here's an account with three million and we wouldn't even go as far as like we do now go see is there really engagement are the real followers are they all bots and when it first started happening we fell for it a few times and then you know there there's a few grand that we got to spend not just for paying the influencer but because now there's products that we got to ship to them. There's the shipping totally. of the product that then you're marketing, the, hoping that this is going to work. And there's zero engagement. Oh, mm. man. Yeah. So, of course, now it's a lot of different because now there's you, there's even tools that tell you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But uh, at the beginning, we didn't have those tools. We didn't even know we needed them. That's the issue because we didn't know we needed them. So that, that's one of the things. And, it did work. It still works very well if you do get the right ones. Uh, and most of our most of our business comes from um, third party platforms like Amazon, right? Amazon yeah. or Walmart. Uh, so we can direct those influence the influencer traffic to uh, to Amazon. Nice. So where do you, for example, if you get those influencers, you're dealing mostly with e commerce sites like Shopify, WooCommerce, or Big Commerce, that kind of stuff, yeah. and so you're sending those 
the influencer traffic to those pages or to a lander first? Yeah, it, and it really depends, you know, brand to brand, um, client to client, yeah. where the destination URL ends up being. Um, a really cool trick that one of my buddies that we nerd, I, you know, him and I, we nerd, we nerd out a fair bit. Um, one of the really cool ones is because um, usually the conventional wisdom is send them to the product page, right? Make the make the path to transaction as short as possible. Yeah. So if the influencer is talking about product A, send them straight to the product page for product A. Uh, apply the code. Um, you know, if you ca- if you have a plugin that applies the code immediately, do that, and then just get people to buy straight up. Now, my buddy went. You know what? I ran I ran a little test. I stood the traffic up, and I sent people to the home page or to the collections page. And I'm like, oh, really? That kind of goes against conventional wisdom. Circling yeah. back to what we were talking about, thinking the traditional way is the way, right? Yeah. And so he went, yeah, because if people have the discount code, the discount code works site wide. It's not only for one product, so let people browse. So let them come into my collections page. Let them have a look at a few things. I usually the pro- product A is usually a flagship hero product anyway. So let people just add other things to the car. Who knows? You might actually get lift in sales. And he was like, yeah, I actually got lift in sales. So give it a try. So for some of our clients, we actually send them straight to the um, collection page or just to the homepage. So you can they can actually browse a little bit more because you can retarget later as well. Yeah, that's actually pretty cool because you're so, you already have the social proof because they went there because an influencer told them. So you already have you've been you've been verified. So it's kind of, yeah, that's a neat idea. But of course. Everybody should test because absolutely not everything. Let the data exactly. Let the data talk to you because you know what, and that's the that's the cool thing I guess about running an agency is the fact that we get not only the depth of experience and the depth of data, but the width of it as well. Mm. So you know, across different verticals, different demographics, um, different angles within one demographic, we might find that, like for example, dresses, right. for for anyone that's not in the game, you would go, well, dresses or dresses or dresses. But hmm. then if you have the angle of, you know, we sell dresses for events only. So if you're going out to like a, um, uh, you know, to someone's quinces or you're going out to a, about mitzvah or something like that, that's when you come to our store. Or and, But you can switch the angle really, really quickly and go, This is just, these are just fun dresses for the beach or for something else. So we get to really learn very quickly in that scale. And that's what drew me, in fact, and my co-founder and I into this agency game in the first place is the learnings here are, they come hard and they come fast and you get to learn so much. Mm. You know what? You just reminded me of a a strategy that we had. It wasn't with dresses and uh, I'll even reveal what the product is, is here, but it was something that until, I don't know, 2019, I didn't know these existed. They were micro fridges for to store skincare products you know people, those. yes so people will store this tiny little foot long fridge and they will store skincare in there so what we thought is we can launch these and it's not just going to be for skincare so we launched the exact same product for skincare then we launched the exact same one for the fishermen that needs to have live bait and they can keep them in there while they're there. Oh, nice. Then we would also have it for the, for the vehicles. So it would plug in 12 volt. So you can have it in your car so you could keep your Coca-Cola cold. And at this, and then the exact same one again, we would market it for the, for the guy that stays in a cubicle and he has limited space to have either his cold drinks or to warm up his food because they also warm up. And 
there you go. Now we have one SKU and you sell it to everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the, that, that, and that's what I really love about marketing. Uh, or one of the, one of the, the, the things I love about marketing, the fact that angles play such a, uh, an important element because of, because of the fact that we're dealing with humans and it has to resonate with, you know, a lot of the time, um, what, how does the saying go to a hammer? Everything looks like a nail. <laughs> but so the, the way we describe something really just forms the perception of how that thing, what that thing becomes. And that really is the power of marketing, uh, especially when you have a great product to go alongside that. It's just such a great, it just makes so much sense. Yeah, exactly. It's where you put the the customer's imagination because you can get that customer imagining themselves depending on whatever pictures and copy that you have on the exact same product. It's so cool. It's fascinating that you can you can do these things right basically i hate i hate this word but it's almost like a little bit of manipulation right it's it, I, I like there's a reason why i hate using that word because it can be seen as something negative but in reality it's you are giving somebody a different perspective it's not manipulating but you're giving them the option to ex- open their mind and absolutely Absolutely. I'm super at peace with the term manipulation, I guess, predominantly because of the fact that if you apply storytelling, that, you know, the concept of storytelling into that word of manipulation, that's all stories really are. If you go into the movies, guess what? You're getting manipulated for 90 mm. minutes voluntarily. It makes you like you're watching people that you really don't have in your life and you cry for them. You laugh for them. You get excited for them. You get scared for them. And all the filmmaker is doing is taking you on that journey and you're voluntarily getting manipulated. But and and I, I know exactly what you mean. There's there there definitely is there are a lot of slime balls since you know since the the, the documentation of history ever started. <laughs> yes, that that really made the word manipulation into something that is horrible and and def- definitely um, feeling it being on the receiving end sucks. So I know I know exactly what you're talking about. Gotcha. So tell me something, Dee. What is the e-commerce revenue engine? So the e-commerce revenue engine is is something that. It's so it's so funny how few brand owners we speak to understand uh, that core engine, which effectively I'm sure you know it as well, right? Traffic multiplied by conversions multiplied by the order value, and then you add the lifetime value piece, and that brings you your economic revenue driver for online sales. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, and the the really weird thing is, I think this is, I think some people. Where the the disconnect comes is that some people cannot piece the offline world with the online world. What I mean by that is any store, physical or otherwise, needs traffic. That's why stores open up in malls. Malls bring the foot traffic already there. So you need that Mm -hmm. traffic part. Now, it's great if you have traffic, but if and all that traffic walks into your storefront and they're browsing around, they're touching your clothes, they're putting it up in front of their mirrors and stuff like that. But no one walks to the cashier to cash out. You have zero conversions. So all that traffic turns into nothing. So you need to figure out your conversions. Now, great if you have conversions. Next thing we need to look at is the order value. Now, if you have super high-end Louboutin shoes on your shelves, and then you have these small little mirror, like, you know, candles, and everyone's buying the candles for like, you know, two bucks, then your average order value is going to be around two bucks instead of the, you know, 700 bucks or like, you know, I don't know how much Louboutins cost. Um, then, then you have that there. Now the next question becomes how many of these customers come back next Sunday, next Saturday, 
or next time they come back. So that becomes your engine. If you can, if you can identify where the bottlenecks are, it gives you, instead of going, oh, I need to change my logo. You know how many people have you, I'm sure you've spoken to so many of those. Oh, the website looks like crap. You know, it, it, after I change the website, it's going to be a whole new, brand new world. Sales yes. are going to flood in. Or I need to refresh my Instagram feed because mm. it looks so crap. And I'm like, don't get me wrong. Branding has a very strong place in the success of a business, of course, especially in the longevity of a business. Don't get me wrong. SEO has a, has a certain play in there as well. But if you focus on these things, that gets cash through the door that allows you to invest in the long tail SEO, invest in the long tail branding. Your brand is only as good as, as long as your business lasts. <laughs> you know? That's true. Yeah. Your business is over. It doesn't matter what the brand is. And yeah, one of the things, one of the things you mentioned, it made me laugh. It was the logo. Cause a lot of people think my logo is my brand. So I need a beautiful logo and I need to, ha and often I see, I heard stories of people that are paying thousands and thousands of dollars and going to masterminds to get this logo done. And I'm like, have you looked at Nike? It's a check mark, right? It's a check mark. Everybody knows it. It's, and it's not because the logo is something special. It's because they made it special. Everybody knows it, right? And, uh, I mean, I, um, I, I like to have a beautiful logo too, but I'm not going to go and spend weeks debating about this. And here you go. Sometimes you start a site and the logo is the name of the brand, right? But, <laughs> and we're Absolutely. just starting. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, two things I found. One, I found that a, a, a phenomenon or this, and this is just anecdotal data. I don't have any kind of empirical data whatsoever. But the one thing that I found is as a behavior, a lot of new founders obsess over the logo because that's the number one thing that they have absolute control over their business. You know, it's like yeah. if I focus on the logo, I have, I have control and people love feeling in control. It, it, it calms us down. Uncertainty scares us as humans. That's just the way things are. So if I obsess over this logo, the, the world is, a, is like the sky is the limit because mm. I can control this. I can say I don't like it, tweak this, this, that, and the other. And then the, the second part is, it, it, I, you know, I really want to echo what you said. It makes so much sense. I look at logos like, um, like it, it sounds really horrible to say, but I look at logos like swappable children. So mm. here's what I mean, right? One, there's no law or rule or guide that says that you can't rebrand and change your logo at any time you want. But also, too, exactly like what you said, you can't really choose how your kid shows up in the world, right? You know, it, your kid just shows up. But you can you can control how your kid grows up and deals with life and becomes a good adult. It's what you infuse into your brand, infuse into your business that gives your logo meaning, that gives your kid's life meaning. So it's it's so much more than just, oh, you know what? I have a kick-ass logo. My business is going to go berserk. Let's bring this to Shark Tank. <laughs> yes, I'll just sell the idea with a logo. Yeah, yeah I, I love that analogy of the kid, the way the way he comes, we don't we can't influence that, but then the way he grows. Or the way people get to know the brand that we can influence. And then I want to go back and touch on something. When we talked about the e-commerce revenue engine, you mentioned something that a lot of people either forget or don't even know about when they're starting out with e-commerce. And that's the lifetime value. The lifetime value of a customer. A lot of people neglect that. And when it comes to, for example, selling on Amazon, there's a lot of new sellers that start overnight. And... That's one of the things that is never measured for a new seller is what's the lifetime value of this customer. Because if you have subscribe and save, 
I have no problem. And we go and we measure these stats, right? So if this customer will have on average five purchases with their subscribe and save. So we measure the value of that purchase. And I know that on my first one, I broke even, or uh, I may have lost a little bit, but with the average of the five purchases, I'm going to profit on the next four. So, right? Let my uh, return of ad spend or on Amazon, it's called ACOS, the advertising cost of sales. Let it go a little bit high because I'm capturing, right? Let's say 7% of them go into subscribe and save. Get those seven, man. Break even. Let it break even, right? Because absolutely. And such a, isn't that such a liberating feeling though? It, you know, because if, if your return on ad spend or if your ACOS goes too low, you're not really sweating it because you're going, no, wait a second. I know my threshold because I know exactly. some people are exactly the same. They, they go, oh, my God, my cost of sales is going like berserk. It's like, yeah, but if you knew your li- your average lifetime value, in other words, it's not just, oh, for this pocket of customers. It's no, no, no. You're looking at um, you're either projecting out because you're a new store or you've been around for at least a year. You've got 12 months of data there. You can then look back and go, listen, man, my average lifetime value is like 600 bucks. If my average lifetime value is 600 bucks per customer because it's averaged out, then guess what? If I come in and I manage to, I know then my threshold for breaking even isn't 20 bucks anymore. I can actually spend 40. I can spend 60. Yeah. Because they're coming back. That's so liberating because then you don't have to stress about that stuff. And now your advertising has so much more firepower. Exactly. That's why I I love to focus on uh, telling people. Know your numbers. And knowing your numbers is not just knowing that you made 50 bucks, but it cost you 40. That's not it. You need to know all the numbers that in the future, this 7% or 11% of these people will buy again. And if you know that, you know how much you can spend to acquire more and more customers. And uh, there's nothing wrong of breaking even or often. We we lose money often when we're launching something new. Uh, It's just part of the launch. And you want to gain customers and man, lifetime value. Absolutely. And for those uh, for those listening or watching and they want to get get nerdy about that and do a bit more research, I highly recommend this is what launched me onto my journey of LTV. I recommend researching the RFM model, recency, frequency, monetary value. The RFM model, if you do a deep enough search on on YouTube, I forget if it's unlisted. Um and I forget his last name. You guys have to forgive me. But his first name's Peter. He's a uh, he's a professor at Harvard or Stanford in data science. And I'm pretty sure that his firm got hired by Nike in 2017, 2018 to do all the data science for uh, for Nike. RFM model, right? Recency, frequency, monetary value. That gives you that extra level. It really helps you level up and understand who are the most recent buyers, who are the most frequent buyers. And which of those are worth the highest monetary value? That becomes your super VIP list, yeah. and then you have your, you know, your super green, your green, your amber, your red. So much power in that. Yes, uh, I'm going to tell you a short little story that there was this tool that was meant for Amazon sellers, and the tool was created to send messages, internal messages, to everybody that purchased your your product on Amazon. That was the the original reason to create this tool. And you could use it, let's say the person bought something today, you can say, send my message two days after delivery and ask them how it was and all that stuff. So that was how the tool was created. Now, we were using the tool for something different because on the back end of the tool, you could also see 
how many times that customer has bought from you in the past and it would all store there. So we were using this tool only for the reason of going to see how many times that customer has bought from us. And then we would add it together. And there was customers on Amazon that we know that since, let's say, since 2017, this person has spent over three grand of buying over and over our own pro- our products. So what we would do is we, we don't have that person's real email. So what we would do is we would actually send them a gift because we have their address. We have their address. And here you go. This is a gift for being a loyal customer. And we would send it to their home, right? And you know, if this person is already a fan of your products, you know how much that affects when you actually send them something that they didn't ask for. And they're, man, they will tell all their friends that, because they already love you. You know that. Absolutely. So, so it's, um, by the way, that tool, uh, just to give them some recognition here, it's called Feedback Whiz. Feedback Whiz, uh, CEO, I had him here. It's Ensign Who. And I told him that too. That's what I use. I didn't use this tool for all any of the messaging. It was just for that reason. So. Nice. That's awesome. So, D, tell me something. Uh, right Hook Digital and is one of the places where people can go to find you. I have your links here. So you have Facebook, Grow Great TV. That's your your Facebook group. Is that a group or a so page? So growgreat.tv, growgreat.tv is a little um, podcast experiment or rather a, a live video slash podcast experiment that I um, kicked off at the start of COVID. Um, just figuring out that it's a, you know, at, at that point of uncertainty, we just needed to hear from as many people in business as possible and as many experienced people as possible. So Grow Great, Grow Great TV is that experiment. We've had 20 episodes there um, and uh, had, had, to take, had to take a bit of a pause. I just wanted to regroup and understand, learn from people like yourself. We've done a ton of podcasts to understand how to tweak the model better, but I've had a ton of fun doing that on GrowGreat.tv. Nice. So I'll have all those on the, on the show notes. Where else do you think people should look, go and look for you? And where can I find the the Right Hook Digital? Um, so righthookdigital.com is the website. Uh, and if you go to uh, facebook.com slash righthookdigital, that's where we are. We drop a fair bit of content out um, fairly regularly. And we've also got um, what was called the e-commerce heavyweights Facebook group. Now it's called... Um, the Growth and Greatness e-commerce Facebook group as well. Just a whole bunch of e-commerce, like a community of e-commerce people uh, jamming, really sharing. And it's one of those places where no question is too silly. You can just come in and really ask any question, get, you know, jam, get the support of everyone else. And we watch one another grow, which really excites me, right? Like stuff mm-hmm. that I wish I had when I was first starting out. Because you sometimes feel like the world is judging you and the world is like, can't wait to pounce on you. Yeah. And we can build a community like that. It's super fun. You know, stuff that like, like what you're doing, right? It's really talking about failures and really being able to be okay with that and have other people support you. Um, and if everyone, anyone wants to get touch, in touch with me personally, uh, Instagram DM is a really great place. Uh, at Real Dose of D is my handle. Real Dose of D. There you go. So guys, I'll uh, have all these show notes on, I'll have all these links on the show notes so you can check them out and check out Real Dose of D on Instagram and same thing on Twitter, right? You have the same hashtag on Twitter. Yes, sir. Cool. D, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to have you here. We have to stay on touch. We'll connect on social media as well. And yes, uh, pleasure to having you here, man. Pleasure having, pleasure being on it, man. I really do appreciate you. Thank you so much. All the best.
Thanks for subscribing to FailFast Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and visit FailFastPodcast.com for show notes, Quinn's social media, or even to tell us your story.